Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. This podcast features the fourth and final webinar in the Bentonville First series, entitled Education, led by Reverend Andrea Cummings and featuring panelists Dr. Evelyn Jorgensen, President of Northwest Arkansas Community College, Lisa St. John, Executive Director of Elementary Education for Bentonville Schools, and Leslie Lyons, Principal of Old High Middle School. Welcome to our Bentonville First webinar broadcast. My name is Andrea Cummings, and I am the Associate Pastor of First United Methodist Church of Bentonville. Through the month of October, our church is focusing on four key aspects of community life and getting reacquainted with who we are as we hopefully navigate out of this pandemic. Our hope is, is to learn about our community and to spark new responses and needs and possibilities that are now part of who we are in Bentonville. This week's webinar focuses on education and joining us from our community for this discussion are three panelists. Let's introduce them. Uh, the first panelist we would like to introduce is Dr. Evelyn Jorgensen, the president of Northwest Arkansas Community College. She has worked in education for 47 years and has been the president of Northwest Arkansas Community College since 2013. Prior to working for um, NWACC, she was president of a community college in Missouri, Morbilly Area Community College from 1996 through 2013. She has worked as a college president, a faculty member and teacher, and even as a tutor for adult education. Dr. Georgensen is a joy to have you with us today. And our next panelist is Leslie Lyons. Um, she is the principal of Ojai uh, Middle School. This is her 22nd year in not just education, but Bentonville schools. That's a very long time. <laughs> well, this is her fifth year as a principal at um, Ojai Middle School. She has also served 12 years as a sixth grade literacy teacher, three years as an elementary literacy coach, and two years as the assistant principal at Sugar Creek Elementary. She has enjoyed... Uh, she has enjoyed and found great satisfaction in all of her roles in Benville education, but she is also a mother of a Benville graduate and a Benville High School freshman and has 21-year marriage to follow educator and current principal at R.E. Baker Elementary, Nick Lyons. It's a powerhouse. <laughs> Between the four of, 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 um, of them and her family has gotten Benville education covered. Thank you so much for bringing that wealth of experience to us today, Leslie. And lastly, we have, not last but least, um, neither, none of those options. Our final panelist is Lisa St. John, um, the Executive Director of Elementary Education for Bentonville Schools. She has been in education for 33 years, having taught um, kindergarten, first and fourth grade, served as an assist assistant principal for seven years, and as a principal for 24 years. She um, was designated as a master principal for the state of Arkansas in 2013. This is her first year in her new role. In this role, she directs, plans, evaluates, and provides leadership for elementary instructional programs with a focus on curriculum and instruction, 
assessment and accountability, and professional development as the primary responsibilities. Lisa, we welcome you here today. We want to, um, to, to maximize the most of our time together. Um, so we're going to ask a few questions. And for those who join us online as well, please share your questions in the comments. And if we have time at the very end, um, we will address those questions. So I'm going to begin with um, question number one. Share a general profile of the students you are seeking to educate. Share a general profile of the students you are seeking to educate and what are the top two or three learning needs they tend to have? Well, I'll go ahead and start. Um, I guess I'm a person of the community college, as you said, and so obviously the students that we have are at an age where they qualify to be in college. So we uh, have mostly 18 to 45 year olds and everything in between. Uh, the average age of our students is 24. So as you might expect, sometimes by that age, they are uh, parents of children themselves. And so they're in the process of trying to educate themselves and prepare for their future while at the same time dealing with young children. So the general profile um, for us is um, very similar to most community colleges and that we have, like I said, an average age of somewhere in the early 20s. For us, it's about 24. And uh, we, we have students who often have a number of needs. They often are having to work. They are self-sufficient. So sometimes they're juggling uh, getting an education while uh, working at least part-time. Um, many of them are uh, veterans. Many of them are um, employees at various places in Northwest Arkansas. And, uh, but at the same time, trying to prepare to move up in the world, as we all try to do, and trying to get that next piece of education, whether that's a uh, workforce skill, construction technology, truck driving, something like that, or whether it's to complete the first two years of an associate's degree and then transfer on to a university. So the learning needs tend to vary a lot, but uh, we do sometimes find that students, particularly students who have been out of school for a while, they're a little rusty, so they might need to brush up on some academics. Um, but um, we also find that they are very determined and very capable, and uh, it's always a joy to see them succeed. Thank you. Um, for our school, we are the downtown middle school. Uh, so my answer of the profile of kids, we've got fifth and sixth graders, but I want to tell you, we just teach whoever walks through the door. That's what we are. That's what we do. Um, we range. Uh, so they're about 10 to 12, anywhere in between there. Um, 
there are lots of students who are natural students. You know, they're just good at school. They, I don't know, maybe they were born that way. And then we've got students who struggle, who struggle with um, how to do school sometimes, um, just struggle with the structure of school. Um, so we have all kinds. We have sweet kids. We have sarcastic kids, funny kids, athletic kids. We have it all. Um we have seen in our specific zone, because in Bentonville, we do zones. So our neighborhood is um, our school, which is really nice. But um, sometimes, well, we've seen a, a change in downtown, our downtown community as of late. So we have a wide variety of students. We have um, some affluent um, families that that come to school with us, but we have some families that really, really struggle um, daily for with transportation, food, um, those sorts of things. Um, so that leads into what are some things that um, we're seeing that the kids really need some help with. I think naturally at the fifth grade level, especially, we're transitioning from how to read to um, reading to learn if that makes any sense. So um, in the elementary, and it starts about fourth grade, but fourth and fifth or sixth, and then on into junior high, it really is transitioning to comprehension. But we still have a lot of students that struggle with that decoding and phonics. And I'm sure um, Lisa will talk about um, the science of reading and our RISE initiative that we're, we're hoping to shore some of that up. Um, one of the things, though, that we saw in a presentation is the kind of a national statistics on where co what COVID affected academically. And I'm, I was so glad to see the stat. Math has taken a bigger hit statistically throughout the nation because of COVID than literacy, which we felt this year because we have some kids really struggling in math more than we've seen recently. Um, but it was nice to see that that was a nationwide statistic and it wasn't just us. <laughs> so, um, so that's kind of what they're doing. And then I'll say we've had a big SEL social and emotional learning push because one of the things that my staff in particular, I can't speak for all staffs, but um, at the end of last year, well, let's go to the beginning of last year with COVID. We were so, um, focused on keeping all the kids safe, safe and all the, the staff safe that we were back to traditional um, straight rows because we had to keep them distanced and we were not doing small groups because we didn't want them to get too close to each other or to move around a whole lot to get them um, in contact with more people. We were trying to be super, super safe. Um, everything was going actually pretty well at the school level. If you were in person, um, but then in the spring, it kind of dropped off. Now, I'm going to let you know that when you teach middle school, the spring is always interesting, always. Doesn't matter, COVID, no COVID, because we have adolescents and hormones and those sorts of things. But um, we saw something different last year. Um, the kids were having a harder time um, accepting one another um, for their faults or their annoyances or things like that. And, and they were much, their responses were much more aggressive than we were used to. And we had some bullying, um, as a staff, we looked at that and just, and talked about what's going on and what do we need to do differently? And all of us, the whole staff realized how much, um, social emotional learning went into our everyday lives with small groups, with kids working together on projects with things. We have club day and, and we mix all the kids up based on passion and those sorts of things. Um, we weren't doing that. And it, 
it made such a big difference. So right now we're, we're starting to rebuild that. Um, it's, this age is particularly um, interesting because they're very much about their own ego and, and a bit self-absorbed, sweet, but still a bit self-absorbed. Um, so just working through that, we have a, a wonderful new curriculum in our school system called Second Step that um, we've been using that's been great for the teachers to be really intentional about it. But we've brought back all of those things as well um, with the small groups and the collaboration. So um, those three things, I think, obviously, I hit reading math and then social emotional learning. Um, we do so many other things here, but I would say that those are the three that we're hitting really hard this year. Thank you. Yeah. And so, so um, considering my new role, there's a, a lot more students that I can talk about. Um, we have, and I thought this was an interesting statistic. So we have a little over 18,500 students in K through 12 in Bentonville schools, but we have 7,000, a little over 7,300 that are just K through four. So that's almost 40% of our population are kids under nine from five to nine. So that's the population that we serve is our students who come into kindergarten and all the way through fourth grade. And we see tremendous growth, as you can imagine, because we start with kids who maybe have never been into a public school before, especially following the pandemic, uh, all the way to kids who have been with us for five years. So our, our youngest learners, um, the first two or three weeks of school, we focus on how to drink out of a water fountain, not during COVID, but during a normal year, how to drink out of a water fountain, um, how to hold a tray in the cafeteria and not spill your food on the way to your table and, you know, how to play with other kids, how to relate with other kids, how to relate with other adults that aren't your parents, because sometimes they haven't had that experience either, um, kind of teaching them that other kids in the school also become their family and really trying to develop that family atmosphere, um, easing them into the learning environment. We work hard on teaching kids to learn to read. That's our primary focus all the way through fourth grade. We do have kids who come in reading, but we also have children who come in who may be, have never held a pencil, never held a crayon, never held scissors. And so all of those skills have to be taught. We've, um, Leslie mentioned RISE and the science of reading, and that is an initiative that we've been going through for several years, and it goes all the way up um, K through six for sure. But we are really almost at the end of training teachers in that, and they're very deep in implementation of a, a systematic way to teach children phonics and to teach them how to read and then to diagnose reading difficulties as they um, travel along that continuum. So if we have students who are struggling, we are getting really good at being diagnosticians and can really um, dig in deep and find the causes and then try to mitigate the, the circumstances around that. So I hope that answers the question. Math, of course, but like Leslie said, we were a little shocked that math fell lower than what we would have expected. Um, but we, we think that that's going to be a fairly easy fix. We, we can bridge those gaps this year during school. And social-emotional learning is really the heart of what we do, kind of going back to teaching students just to be in the school setting. So, yes. Wonderful. Um, 
The next question is, um, you both, everyone's kind of hit on a little bit, but the um, what challenges have you faced in the pandemic and uh, what are some ways in which you've, you've, you've responded to that? <laughs> I can speak from an elementary perspective. Um, really in March of 2020, when we were expected to go digital overnight with children who didn't know how to use the technology at home and teachers who also maybe didn't have the infrastructure at home to be able to teach from home. Um, and just the, you know, the social emotional things that adults were going through. How do you handle a pandemic? Nobody knew what was coming next. No one knew what to expect. Um, communicating with parents without seeing parents and then yet as we got better at it through last year kind of being in their homes with them when maybe they weren't used to us kind of being in their spaces with them all the time um it was a challenge teachers who taught some digital literacy in their classroom but really focused more on the interaction with kids were forced to go digital and and lost all of that connection with being able to have kids close to them and being able to see exactly what students were doing. Um, that was hard, but I will tell you that we don't have, there's no group that's worked harder than our K-12 educators in Bentonville to make this a good experience for kids starting on March 16th, you know, the day after this all started. Um, they went digital, they did a great job, and they faced challenges that we all never thought we were going to face, and they came through like shining stars. Our test scores dipped a tiny bit, but nothing compared to what we might have anticipated, and I think it speaks to how well all of our educators did in handling the things that they had to handle to make it right for kids. I'm going to jump in and and agree with Lisa 150%. Um, I, I'm not going to repeat um, what she said, but I was thinking about this question. And yes, running a virtual school was very hard. I will tell you that that was probably the hardest. I'm going to take a, the tact from a leadership standpoint. One of the hardest things for me as a leader was to remind myself not to lead from fear. It was so enticing to think that um, my mission for the school and for my kids and my staff would change to survive. Mm. Um, that was very tempting to do. And it felt like the right thing to do sometimes, but trying to remind myself that we need to keep our mission, um, which is multi-sensory learning experiences to increase depth of knowledge. That's our mission. We want to have students that contribute to, to our community and our problem solvers. That's our vision. So keeping that as the focus instead of operating from fear, um, was probably honestly the most challenging thing for me um, as a principal and a leader in the district because everyone was fearful and I I'm not excluded from that. I, I was fearful too, but um, we have staff that feared being in classrooms with students. We had students and parents that feared being in classrooms with other people. We had um, things that we've never just never encountered and who would have thought that we'd be running a school during a 
pandemic. That just is so crazy to think about. So there's a lot of making it up as you go, which is probably um, not our comfort zone at all. <laughs> um, we like to have a good plan before we get it started. But um, but the resiliency was really great to see and and just needing to surround myself with other people who knew that the mission wasn't just survival, but it was still growing kids and still supporting our teachers and staff um, past survival, but um, maintaining our mission. Thank you. I'll add to that just a little bit um, with having adult students. Um, you may remember the early days of the pandemic. There was a lot of thought that perhaps the most at risk were the adults and the people that might be least affected were the children. So we had parents of children who were concerned because they um, didn't want to contract anything at the college um, with the other adults. We had faculty members who were concerned because um, being adults and some of them older adults, they felt particularly vulnerable. So it, it was a challenge just to avoid being fearful, as was already said. Um, but it, we really got down to thinking about how we offer education. We have probably for the last 10 years offered higher education online, both synchronous and asynchronous. So what we had to do is take a lot of the face-to-face -face classes and say, okay, we already do this. We know how to do it. We're going to take these face-to-face -face classes and move them to either synchronous, asynchronous, or some kind of hybrid format, depending on the uh, particular subject that's being taught and, and the requirements of those particular classes. So uh, we were able to do that um, fairly easily, most of the faculty had already taught uh, online in some format or another. Those that didn't found out that wasn't as scary as they thought it might be. They were able to do it. Um, we did have students who did not have access. So we, we purchased a lot of hotspots, a lot of tablets, those kinds of things, so that students who didn't have that technology at home could check it out from the library. So again, as was already said, you, you do a lot of things kind of based on what needs to be done at the moment. Uh, what are we hearing that students need? What isn't available to them? Uh, we added hotspots to the parking lot because there were people who did not have internet connections from home, but they could drive over to the parking lot in their car and do their classes that way. So you just uh, try to imagine, try to listen carefully uh, to what is needed, and then as best you can, provide those. And if you can get ahead of the game, um, that's even better. But uh, we did a lot of listening and a lot of responding as well. Thank you. Hey, Andrea, there was in the chat, I think there was something about the teachers and um, yeah. how they're doing that I would love to address if that's okay. Yes, so the question is that um, was from our, um, our panelists, uh, well, actually from the feed, what toll did the challenges take on the teachers, on your teachers and how have you seen them change? 
Okay. So, and this is, this is real talk with Leslie. So I hope I, I don't say too much, but, um, or get too candid, but here's what I finally figured out because if you ask teachers right now, they'll tell you this year is harder than last year. And that just seems crazy. And I've been asking, can you name it? Can, can you name what's harder about this year? Because it doesn't seem that this year would be harder. Here's what I've come up with. Um, again, I, I told you we kept our vision. We, we kept our mission, um, but they had to learn a lot of new technology. Like Lisa was saying, um, they put in, a lot of extra energy last year. I think that they put in 150% of themselves into last year and they started, um, it, you know, energy doesn't just manifest itself, right? So we started with a little less gas in our tank this year. Um, they've used it as they always would. I'm not saying anyone is doing less. They're still giving everything they've got, but we don't have as much gas in the tank. So they're a little more tired. They're a little, um, they have, they just have a little less energy. They're trying to do the very best for their kids, but it's just, that's the only thing I can figure out. Lisa may be able to, uh, and, and Evelyn might be able to add more to that, but, um, they're tired. We also, I'm, I'm planning on talking about this later, have a sub shortage. So, you know, uh, taking off isn't really as much of an option if you needed to take off and recharge, um, those sorts of things. So, um, I would say teachers are, have never once failed us, never one single time have I had a teacher in my building or heard of another principal saying that any teacher has failed us. They have not, not for one single second, but they're, they're tired. They're tired morale. Yeah. Um, I think we're trying really hard to figure out what can we do? How can we help? I've got a couple of ideas, but um, I think I would just say tired. Lisa, do you have anything to add there? So I agree that it, you know, they, teachers always give a hundred percent and I say always, and I mean it. Yes. We're in an area where they, our staff works really hard to meet the needs of our children every day. And that does take a toll. It takes a toll. I, what I would say, and at the risk of being too candid myself is be nice. Like we're trying so hard to meet the needs of of our children and to do the right thing by our kids every single day. And it would be so, I, I think that's what they're feeling is that a lot of times, no matter what they do, it's not the right thing for someone. It's not the right thing. And that takes its toll too. When you're trying so hard to do the right thing every day and every day, someone tells you you've done the wrong thing. And so I would say, we need grace because there's nothing more important to these adults than to teach and educate and love on these children. And that's what they want to do. And they want to do it well um, and know that we're trying. We're trying so hard to do it well. Thank you. I think there may be a little bit as um, as well that last year, everyone realized Oh my gosh, this is a pandemic unlike anything any of us remember. Um, and maybe there was more of a grace period there for mm -hmm. faculty who were doing 
this for the first time and everybody was trying to figure it out. It was kind of like, we're all in this together. We'll get through it. We'll just help each other out. Um, but, you know, maybe a year and a half down the road, people are kind of beginning to say, okay, you had all of last year to figure out how to teach online. Haven't you figured that out by now? Uh, or haven't you got this straight yet? So there's maybe just a tad less patience um, with the educators um, because last year everyone was just kind of overwhelmed by everything and helping each other out. This year, uh, nerves have worn just a little bit, I think. <laughs> yes. Um, and any a regular school year is hard. And so mm -hmm. as a former educator that was in K through sixth grade, um, I know those those uh, holidays came, you, you started feeling feel the, the, the pull that you need a break and all that coupled with um, the pandemic and the stresses there. And mm -hmm. uh, I have two sister educators too, so I hear their woes all the time. And so, um, so continue prayers for all you that are, you know, that are, you know, provide education, um, top-notch education for our- One other thing I just thought of is that um, if, if the, to Evelyn and, and Lisa, like the be, the be nice is um, the teachers, faculty, anyone who is an educator is not immune to what happened. If your family is suffering, teachers aren't immune to the suffering in their own mm -hmm. families. They've had six family members. They've had um, financial situations um, because of COVID. They suffer just like everyone else. I think um, people are so used to teachers being able to rise above it. And we show up for the, for the kids with the energy and that everything's going to be okay and all of that. But um, I think sometimes people forget that teachers are human and are suffering just like the rest of um, the community. Thank you for that. Thank you for your candidness. You know, we, we need that. <laughs> okay. So um, the, the next question is, um, what is different about education um, since the pandemic? And what are some of the things that will remain the same, like, you know, that, you know, pre-pandemic that work well, but more so what is, um, what is different about education now? I, I've thought about that. And I think the main difference is that we realize that there are different ways to do things. There are new, new ways to bring learning to children. And I think we embrace that. I think, We've had so many more opportunities to learn new skills and, and we're catching on and we are learning those skills. And I think our children are going to benefit that from that in the end. Um, the thing that I think hit me harder though, is what's going to stay the same. And I am positive that the connections with kids are what will have to stay the same. That's the piece that we miss the most. We had, you know, March, March and April went by. And by the end of April, we had teachers who were crying because they could not go see their children. They couldn't, they didn't get to say goodbye to them. They, you know, all of the things that we normally take for granted in a school year, we did not take for granted last year. We didn't take for granted um, that we would come back after a break. <laughs> we learned really quickly that that might not be the case. And so the connection with children and the way that we sit with them and we sit side by side with them and we meet with them, 
I'm not ever going to be afraid that technology will take over the world of teaching because it can't happen. We have to have the connection. Yes. The same, uh, I think those of us that love technology, because there's a lot of us that do, we thought, ooh, finally, everybody's getting on board, right? And we have to do it. Now everybody has to do it. And there are so many great things that we found. I saw something in a math classroom yesterday. Um, it's Desmo. And um, the way the kids are manipulating um, on their computers, but it's all on one screen for the teacher in front of the class to where you can see, okay, who has this many orange left? And the level and the rigor. So it's it's all there and it's so nice, but okay. We did that virtually and it wasn't as much fun when all the kids are in the room and they're talking about it and, Oh, look, so-and-so has figured it out. Or it, there's an energy that comes and a connectedness with that shared experience in the same room. Like Lisa said, we'll never take that for granted anymore, but the Desmo is going to stay right? The interactive tools that we found that really increase um, engagement and, um, and rigor, those things are going to stay. Um, but that, that person to person, we just, I, we truly undervalued that. We truly did. We thought, um, oh, virtual, you won't have behavior problems. Well, it turns out you, you still do. Uh, they're different problems. Um, they just turn off the computer when they don't want to do stuff. And that's way worse. We can't do anything with that. So um, we're glad to not be in that situation as much anymore. But um, we also are looking into a balance of technology because now kids kind of where they used to just beg to use the Chromebook and to do that thing online. Now they're, they're really excited about paper and pencil activities. They really love getting their hands on stuff and, and getting into that learning. Um, and they, it's, it's strange because they're getting a little bit burnt out with some of the technology that we're using. Um, Google classroom, I know. And then a seesaw, I think in elementary school, mm -hmm. great tools. We could not have done what we did without those tools. They're here to stay, but We've got to start looking at how to balance those things so that um, we're not burning anyone out on anything. So it's been a blessing, but we're learning to um, be really purposeful with our tools. That's absolutely the case with us at the community college as well. We, we love using the technology. The students love using it, um, but there has to be that balance. We can't ever forget, and I think we, we all learned that lesson as educators, we can't ever forget how important that face-to-face -face contact is, mm -hmm. that interaction, um, small group activities, all those kinds of things that, that lead to enhanced learning. Um, that's never going to go away. Some of the technology that we've learned to use and, and uh, certain faculty members have learned to use that maybe wouldn't have used it as quickly. We might have jump-started some things that allowed them to get interactive with technology quicker. But uh, we also learned that that face-to-face -face and that human interaction, so very important. So I, I don't think it matters if you're in second grade or if you're, you know, a, a sophomore in college, it, it's still the same. We need that interaction.
Okay, the next question is, um, what do you find most exciting or hopeful as we are coming um, and coming out of the pandemic a little bit? So um, what, is, what do you find hopeful and exciting? I think the joy is coming back. Hmm. So for our, for our children, I think being together, being in classrooms, um, starting to be able to do small group instruction again, starting to be able to sit closer together on the carpet, um, starting to be able to play with other kids at recess and not just your own cohort. Um, you know, looking forward to things like school plays and, and singing and just the, the, the things that make the world a happier place, right? All of those fine art sort of things that went away, even at elementary level, we need those things and we need them back. So what's helpful, what's the most joyful for me and for thinking about our children is the joy is, is, is there. Um, kids are naturally joyful, which is great. And now they can be in joyful classrooms where they can interact with each other more. They can touch objects. They can share manipulatives. You know, last year we even put all the math manipulatives away because we were afraid that they were going to get sick from touching things. And now that we know a little bit more, the joy of learning is coming back. Um, I, I don't have much more to add than Lisa. I think, um, our club days, we use those, we do those once a month and it's um, anything from biking to cooking to sewing to, um, there's just um, coding, robotics, all of it. Um, we, I'm really looking forward to the community coming back into our school. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so many um, people. One of our things is seeking out and maximizing the talent of our students, but we'd like to do that with the community as well. We have so many wonderful resources in our community. We're luckier than the most anyone in the nation, honestly, to have this small town that wants to give back to the community. And we like to have them in schools and those sorts of things, but we have a small town with big resources. Um, who else is that lucky? So I'm really looking forward to incorporating that back into what we're doing is inviting the community in sharing those resources. Um, we're starting to do those things, um, with club day, the kids, um, to be able to learn in different ways. Um, it's just fun to watch. Um, we talk about the ABCs of engagement. There's definitely, um, the cognitive part, they have to be learning, but can we find ways to make it impactful by making it novel or interesting or fun or those sorts of things. So by being able to not worry as much about, um, spreading a deadly disease, um, then then, (laughs) that just naturally just brings the joy back. Right. We don't have to worry about those things as much. I think though, that we will still, we've learned a lot about health. We've learned a lot about cleanliness. We've learned things, um, of that nature that won't go away. That's that last question, but, um, the fun that we're able to have. And I think the appreciation of it is going to be um, excellent as well. The same is true at the community college. We see that with the student activities, the clubs, the organizations that we have on campus and being able to bring students back together to do some of those things. It's a, it's a joyful, exciting time. And, and students want that and need that. And if we ever question 
whether or not there was enough value to the geek club or to um, the life program or whatever it might be. You know, it really hit home this year that each of those various student clubs and organizations has its role and it's an important role and it makes a difference. And so I, I think too, even at this level, uh, it, it's uh, fun to see that all kind of picking up again and students getting much more involved and interactive and they're, they're wanting to uh, give tours to high school seniors who are coming on campus again, which we couldn't do last year. Uh, they're wanting to help out with various activities uh, it's fun to see that again, because that, that engagement is an important part of student retention. Wonderful. Thank you all. Um, as we um, kind of um, wind down our questions, um, what, the next question I have here is what kind of, of education and training will be needed to serve Benville well in the future? And um, what do you think we'll, what do you think we need to make that happen? I think Bentonville has traditionally been full of people who think outside the box. That's why Bentonville is what it is. People who take an idea and dream and dream big and run with it. And I think that's what we need to be cultivating in children, that ability to dream and to dream big and to prepare them with all of the, what we call soft skills, collaboration, cooperation, learning in teams, because we don't know exactly what jobs are going to exist in 10 years when the, you know, when some of them get out of school or in 20 years when our kindergartners are ready to enter the workforce. But if we can instill that ability to collaborate, to get along well with other people, to communicate well, then no matter what job they go after or what jobs available, they'll be able to rise to the occasion. And just to piggyback on that, I, I think you hit the nail on the head because we deal frequently with employers because we want our graduates to be able to go into the workforce and be well prepared. So we ask the, the employers, what is it that you need? You would be surprised how frequently soft skills rises to the top of the list. They want people who can collaborate people who can work well with others, people who can communicate what they're, they're trying to ask about or what they're trying to relay to others. So communication is very important. They want people that can read and understand directions and, and um, respond to that. So in addition to all the kinds of things that we do that are the academic skills, and uh, the technical skills, um, computer skills, whatever it might be, there's a big portion of what has to happen that is in that soft skill area. And we hear that from employers all the time. And I think if people have that, they have that creativity, they have the imagination, um, they can work well with others. Um, they will be able to manage, they'll be able to handle whatever new interesting careers and jobs that are out there 10 years from now or 20 years from now. So uh, we're probably at the community college level a little closer to those 
uh, workforce jobs than elementary school is. But nevertheless, the kinds of things that people have to learn to be successful are still somewhat common, actually. Um, communication, working well together, being able to work in groups, being able to communicate, um, being creative, imaginative, uh, being able to think about new and better ways to do things that we've done uh, in the past in a very specific way, perhaps. Uh, so th that's what leads to innovation and new careers. Uh, wholeheartedly agree. I think um, here at Old High, we have a makerspace, which um, we started with the um, a relationship with the Amazium. Um, what I would say, you know, we talk about multiple entry points to access education, right? Um, no matter if you, if you come from the most affluent home um, and both your parents have master's degrees and are, you know, and you're in that boat or, or you're coming from a uh, working class, work hard, work two jobs, um, got a lot of um, brothers and sisters at home that you take care of at night. Like they need access at the same level. So what is that look that looks different for each student as far as how do we get them access to the learning? They may have different entry levels that they need to start at. A lot of that comes from being just creative with how students learn. Um, for us, it's makerspace and we want them to always have their hands on something and being creative. And uh, you want those problem solvers and we want that for Evelyn to make it easier on Evelyn when kids come to her. Um, she doesn't have to work as hard on the soft skills. They can work a little bit more on the technical sides of content. Um, we're trying to start that. I know elementary um, is focused on that as well. Um, we're trying to start that at those early years so that it it will just be easier on themselves because if they can master those skills and really figure out how do you how do you try to solve a problem, fail at solving the problem? We call it failing with honors. We're trying to focus on that a little bit more this year. Um, how do you fail and then not just quit? Because a lot of us, if we fail, like me, video games, hate video games, don't like video games, not good at video games. I'm going to tell you, I'd probably stay away from them because I'm not good at them, right? I've failed too many times to where it's not fun anymore. But how do we get kids to um, not feel that way about science or math and say, I'm just not good at it, so I'm not going to do that? Um, we're trying to get them different entry points to that, like building a birdhouse or um, um, how to build a bridge or all the math and all the thinking and the design and and even the, the literacy about reading how they're built, um, just all of the things that you can do from a completely different entry point than our naturally good at school kids who have no problem with you teaching that very traditional way, they're going to excel. We're looking for entry points for all. So I think for for our teachers, that's a lot to ask, right? Uh, you have to know all 112 of your students at a very intimate level to know exactly what their entry point is. And then once you figure it out, you have to make that happen. Um, I think the more support we can give teachers with that kind of um, outside the box teaching and learning, uh, the better we'll be. Wonderful. Thank you all. So I'm going to end with this question for you all. Um, what, how, how can folks, how can our community um, support um, you all and the work you do, um, the students and the families that you serve? I'm jumping in here because I've got two things that I need everybody to do. Two things, okay? One, 
I need you to sign up to be a substitute teacher. <laughs> okay. If you like, now, if you don't like kids, I'm going to say this one isn't for you. Okay. This one's not for you. There are lots of other ways. If you don't truly, truly, cause not all of us enjoy kids. I, I, I have family members that don't, um, if you enjoy kids, sign up to be a substitute teacher. Our teachers are tired. It's really hard. We have unfilled positions all the time. And then we're asking other teachers who already have a full plate to cover for this teacher for this hour and this teacher for this. We've never had um, a sub shortage like we have right now. And I think that if they could have the relief of taking a day off, if their kid is sick or if they are sick, um, that would mean so, so much. Um, I know you can get on our website. Lisa, you may have to help me here. On our website, ESS is our sub coordinator. Uh, you work through them, but it, it's an easy thing to do. And we would so appreciate you helping us out in the schools. We're not nearly as scary as you think. And we have so many other teachers that will support you when you get here if you've never done it before. The other thing is bus. Um, I don't know if... I don't know if everyone knows this, but we have a huge bus driver shortage right now as well. Um, if you have your CDL, um, if you don't have your CDL, the, the district is willing to pay for you to get trained and get your CDL. Um, we have students that are sometimes waiting two and a half hours after school because a bus driver got sick, wasn't able to run their route. So people are having to double up routes after their first route and come mm -hmm. back. Um, Kids shouldn't be sitting in school for another two and a half hours if they can help it. Um, we need bus drivers. And I know the school board is working on maybe even increasing the pay. I don't know if I'm, again, I don't know if I'm supposed to say all those things, but um, they're looking at ways to incentivize it. But truly, truly, if you know someone that enjoys kids and wants to give back to your community, those two things for me right now are top of the list. And then if you have a skill or resource, call your local school. If you have a business, um, call your zone local school and see, just ask, how can I, I have this skill? How can I contribute to your school? We'll take you up on it. We absolutely will. Um, it's sometimes hard for us to reach out to you. So if, if you want to reach out to us, um, we're all for it. But um, subs, buses, we need it big time right now. I think I was just going to say more of be present. Whether you have children at home that you can be more present with, if that's possible. Um, when you see people walking down the street, acknowledge them, say hi, smile. Um, I just think the kindness that we can show each other inside and outside of school will go a long way to help our children learn that that's the way we do things. We want them to know that that's the way we do things, not just in our schools, but in our community. That's the way we do things. So be present. And if you see a need, try to fill it. I think it's, you know, again, I, it's very true for the community college as well. Uh, we need people to uh, feel respected. We need uh, people who feel like someone believes in their potential, that is encouraging them, that gives them opportunities, that shows them where they might, um, what the next step might be after community college, if they want to go into the workforce, if they want to go into uh, the university, they, they need people who have been there and done that to kind of show them the way sometimes. 
I think also I would ask of the community, if you have particular expertise, even in your own work arena where you are currently employed, that you could share with students that makes it much more real. It's one thing for a professor to teach business law. <clears throat> it's another thing for a judge to come in in the evening and teach a business law class because those firsthand experiences, that, that um, firsthand knowledge in the um, real world, if you will, um, adds a lot of credence to everything else that the educators are trying to do. Wonderful. Those are all great ways in which um, um, our community can support you all and the families and the students um, that will make a difference. And so um, what a, as we're coming to our, our inner time, um, it's been a great to share with um, all, all of you here. And um, I, I, I hope that um, those that have joined us have um, been inspired um, to, to want to support um, the, way, the many ways in which we can um, educate our future, right? And so, so thank you so much for sharing your passion and all the great work that you're doing um, in our city. And this, this conversation will continue on Sunday morning here at First United Methodist Church of um, downtown Bentonville um, and at our services at 9 and 11 a.m. So you can join us online, technology, yay, and also in person. So we invite you to um, join us on one of those um, two times, 9 or 11 o'clock, again, in person on Facebook. And as we're coming out of the pandemic, we are thinking about that um, intently with our staff and our worship leaders and, um, and um, keeping in mind the, the grief that we've all experienced and creating a space where we can name that and sit together and to um, think about um, how the, the, um, the hope on the other side of the pandemic and so we're going to acknowledge it, but look ahead. And we are going to do that on Wednesday, November 10th at 6.30 p.m. It's called um, a service of mourning and hope. November 10th at our church, First United Methodist Church of downtown Bentonville and on Facebook at 6.30 p.m. And our worship directors are wonderful. You had to come and, and check them out one Sunday, but they're wonderful. And um, uh, Dr. Um, Ray Wheeler is working on, he's already written a, a requiem, requiem for COVID. It's wonderful. And um, our other director, um, Ken Rutherford, they're getting together some great music. It's going to be very reflective. Um, but again, we're going to um, acknowledge our grief with one another and also look for the hope on the other side. And we especially want to invite our medical care workers and first responders. Um, they've gone through so much and hold a lot of the grief and we want um, to invite them to come out to share with us. And it's up, open to the whole entire community. Um, so we invite the community to come out, um, the teachers too. So let your teachers know to come on out if they can and you all as well. And again, um, this conversation, we have um, another webinar next week on Tuesday at from the same time, um, noon to 1 p.m. And we will um, um, continue on our conversations um, with um, our webinars, Benville First webinars and broadcasts. And again, I wanna thank you all who have joined us online and those who will come back and watch um, this later. And um, hope you're inspired. And thank you again to all of our wonderful panelists that are doing uh, wonderful things for our community. Um, until next time, see you later.
Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.